Welcome, everyone. And as we join together this afternoon, we're so grateful for the love and compassion that's being extended to all in our community who continue to struggle with COVID and racial disparities, poverty, and the consequences of systemic racism. Our mission leaders are so glad to be joined in presenting today Zanetta Billy Zone, who I absolutely love and have come to know over the years. She's the clinical manager of home health for King County, and it's beautiful what she has to share. And then Shani Byard, the new HCC Director of Workforce Integration. I think during our planning session, she said she's only been here for four weeks. So we're thrilled to have Shani participate as well. And then Nick Schoen, and Nick is the Chief of Staff for Seattle Archdiocese, and I'll share more about Nick when he shares his, his thoughts today. So we know that you'll be inspired by their word today as you listen. So as we begin, we lift up our caregivers who have been steadfast in serving during this most challenging year. And it's hard to believe that it was a year ago that we offered our first Juneteenth reflection as an HCC ministry. As a milestone in our own journey, it was just a baby step but an important one for recognizing the history and the heritage of slavery and its enduring impact even today. We've heard the phrase truth-telling. Truth-telling means being open to listening, to be willing to be uncomfortable, and to be honest with ourselves and others as we commit to being a ministry for our time. So as we begin, we lift up our caregivers who have been steadfast in serving during this most challenging year. And it's hard to believe that it was a year ago that we offered our first Juneteenth reflection as an HCC ministry. As a milestone in our own journey, it was just a baby step, but an important one for recognizing the history and the heritage of slavery and its enduring impact even today. We've heard the phrase truth-telling. Truth-telling means being open to listening, to be willing to be uncomfortable, and to be honest with ourselves and others as we commit to being a ministry for our time. And being a ministry for our time includes being honest about the past, recognizing its gifts as well as its challenges. Lifting up the rights of all people means understanding and owning where those rights have been trampled. The sisters lived in their time, a time when their ministry required sacrifice and service in a context that was very different from ours and yet they were called to love in the ways that served their time. Today, we are faced with a world that is challenged in its own way, and yet we are also called to ensure that we are lifting up love in our work in the context of our time, and that we move this love forward to create a more just world. So a year ago, as we celebrated Juneteenth for the first time as an HCC ministry, we began our renewed commitment to social justice by sharing a beautiful prayer from Ted Loader. And as we read this prayer again today, we remember that each day is a new beginning, that each step we take on the journey to love requires setting our intentions anew in every moment we are given. And so we pray. God of history and of my heart, so much has happened to me during these whirlwind days. I've known death and birth I've been brave and scared. I've hurt and I've helped. I've been honest and I've lied. I've destroyed and I've created. I've been with people and I've been lonely. I've been loyal, I've betrayed. 
I've decided and I've waffled. I've laughed and I've cried. You know my frail heart and my frayed history, and now another day begins. Oh God, help me to believe in beginnings and in my beginning again, no matter how often I've failed before. Help me to make beginnings, to begin going out of my weary mind into fresh dreams, daring to make my own bold tracks in the land of now, to begin forgiving that I may experience mercy, to begin questioning the unquestionable that I may know truth, to begin disciplining that I may create beauty, to begin sacrificing that I may make peace, to begin loving that I may realize joy. Help me to be a beginning to others, to be a singer to the songless, a storyteller to the aimless, a befriender of the friendless, to become a beginning of hope for the despairing, of assurance for the doubting, of reconciliation for the divided, to become a beginning of freedom for the oppressed, a comfort for the sorrowing, a friendship for the forgotten, to become a beginning of beauty for the forlorn, of sweetness for the soured, of gentleness for the angry, of wholeness for the broken, of peace for the frightened and violent of the earth. Help me to believe in beginnings, to make a beginning, to be a beginning. so that I may not just grow old, but grow anew. Each day of this wild, amazing life, you call me to live with the passion of Jesus Christ. We respect all people of goodwill, and in honor of the many names for God, we celebrate our new beginnings and lift up Juneteenth as a reminder of our call to action in the journey for true freedom for all. So why do we celebrate Juneteenth? I'd like to share this quote by Reverend Jackie Hawkins, a visionary and heart-centered leader. She's a non-denominational pastor who lives in San Marcos, California. Her father was a Baptist pastor and Dr. Martin Luther King was her former pastor. She writes, we celebrate Juneteenth because it brings into focus the importance of remembering what was and celebrating what is. Celebrations of any kind are about remembering and paying homage to something of significance that has occurred. And while most celebrations center on events that are joyous, such as births and graduations and marriages, other celebrations pay tribute to the end of painful experiences, such as the celebration of freedom from bondage and slavery. She writes, these celebrations serve as a bridge in consciousness and an opportunity to heal raw emotions for individuals, for families, and for even nations. These celebrations are important, not just to look back, but to live in today and to look forward to tomorrow. From a spiritual perspective, until we remember and reconcile and let God guide us into a future that is more loving, we run the risk of repeating the same lessons again and again. And without a sense of history and vision and vigilance, we risk disrupting the forward march of progress. 
She says, without celebration, we risk discouragement. Without joy, we risk despair. And without friendship and community and opportunities to picnic together, we risk loneliness and isolation and individualized agendas that compete with our common good. And so we recognize Juneteenth as a triumphant event worthy of honor because it teaches us about fortitude. It teaches us about resilience and the importance of working together to ensure true freedom for all. Why do we celebrate Juneteenth? Because we believe in new beginnings. Help me to believe in beginnings, to make a beginning, to be a beginning, so that I may not just grow old, but grow new each day of this wild and amazing life. As captured in the writings of Reverend Jacqueline Hawkins, Juneteenth is a commemoration meant to celebrate word of emancipation, finally coming to a group of enslaved people in Galveston, Texas. The holiday is meant to honor the emancipation of four million enslaved people, but particularly the small handful who weren't aware that emancipation had come years earlier. On Freedom's Eve, or the eve of January 1st, 1863, the first watch night services took place. On that night, enslaved and free African Americans gathered in churches and private homes all across the country, awaiting news that the Emancipation Proclamation had taken effect. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered as all enslaved people in the Confederate States were declared legally free. Union soldiers, many of whom were black, marched onto plantations and across cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation Proclamation, spreading the news of freedom in Confederate States. Only through the 13th Amendment did emancipation end slavery throughout the United States. But not everyone in Confederate territory would immediately be free, even though the Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. As a result, in the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be free until much later. Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, when some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas. The Army announced that more than 250,000 enslaved Black people in the state were free by executive decree. And it read, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. As soon as the affected enslaved people heard the news included in the executive order, their spirits were lifted and their vision of a better future was set. 
accounts of those held in bondage, jumping for joy even before General Granger could complete his reading of the order have been told. Yet some who feared wrath from their masters were cautious about this news. The majority who worked in the cotton fields in East Texas celebrated that day as one of answered prayer. This day came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly free people in Texas. It was a day of liberation and independence. It was Freedom Day. From what I've learned, I will say slavery was ubiquitous and cancerous, infecting our society as a whole. It was a complete and global machine to establish the perception of white superiority and black inferiority and to establish intergenerational wealth, which leads to power and intergenerational poverty, which leads to dependence. Everyone was enslaved by this mindset, not just black people. So Juneteenth in my household takes on a few days of self-reflection, lots of African music, dance parties in the living room, and an honoring of the freedom fighters, past and present. Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, and Frederick Douglass are some who we reflect on, to name a few. Imagery is so critical for reprogramming the mind and breaking free of mental enslavement. So my daughter and I often sit during Juneteenth and admire the beauty of the faces of our freedom fighters. We study their faces. We study the beauty in their dark skin. We see the resilience in their wrinkles. We see the agape love in their eyes. There are typically festivals and parties in my neighborhood as well that we may attend. This picture is from a festival activity for kids at a Juneteenth festival where they learn to create protest signs to exercise their freedom. And therefore, our theme of new beginnings here is so meaningful to me because it means that together we as Americans can begin a journey to strengthen our collective capacity to reprogram that mindset of superiority versus inferiority, white versus black, so that all people are seen as their beautiful and authentic selves, that we are all valued as human beings. New beginnings also mean an opportunity to rebuild a sense of economic justice and true independence. Juneteenth is an opportunity to celebrate American history so that together we all may reconcile the past and live into a future free from racism and all the other isms that inhibit our true freedom. Why do we celebrate Juneteenth? Because we believe in new beginnings. Help me to be a beginning to others to be a singer to the songless, a storyteller to the aimless, a befriender of the friendless, to become a beginning of hope for the despairing, of assurance for the doubting, of reconciliation for the divided, to become a beginning of freedom 
for the oppressed. Ironically, while Juneteenth has become the most prominent Emancipation Day holiday in the U.S., it commemorates a smaller moment that remains relatively obscure. It doesn't mark the signing of the 1863 Emancipation Proclamation, which technically freed slaves in the rebelling Confederate states, nor does it commemorate the December 1865 ratification of the 13th Amendment, which enshrined the end of slavery into the Constitution. Instead, it marks the moment when emancipation finally reached those in the deepest parts of the former Confederacy. In many ways, Juneteenth represents how freedom and justice in the U.S. has always been delayed for Black people. The decades after the end of the war, we'll see a wave of lynching, imprisonment, and Jim Crow laws take root. What followed was a disproportionate impact of mass incarceration, discriminatory housing policies, and a lack of economic investment. And now, as the national attention remained focused on acts of police violence and various racial profiling incidents, it is clear that while progress has been made in Black America's 150 years out of bondage, considerable barriers continue to impede that progress. We have seen the violence against people of color example through our history. And in much of the country, the years following World War I saw a spike in racial tension, including the resurgence of the white supremacist group, the Ku Klux Klan, numerous lynchings, and other acts of racially motivated violence, as well as efforts by African-Americans to prevent such attacks on their communities. Just recently, we recognized the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre in which looting and burning of over 35 city blocks resulting in 1,256 houses burned and 215 looted but not torched. There are two newspapers, a school, a library, a hospital, churches, hotels, stores, and many other Black-owned businesses were destroyed or damaged by this fire. And while 27 bodies have been recovered, some historians estimate the death toll may have been as high as 300. And why? Why did it take 100 years to recognize the Tulsa massacre? Why is it only now that we recognize the beautiful voice of 107-year-old Viola Fletcher testifying to the Tulsa massacre as she tells a story and testifies to such strength in face of adversity. And one has to ask, with such persistent violence, with the embodiment of such impression, how does a people remain hopeful? Blood on Black Wall Street, a documentary on MSNBC, shared these words at the very end by the narrator after listening to the testimony of those who have survived the massacre. He says, as Black people, there is a deep sense of togetherness. And in some way or another, each of us was inherited a little piece of the trauma passed down by those who came before us. But we have also inherited strength and resiliency. I saw that blend of tragedy and triumph in the people of North Tulsa because this isn't Black history. This is American history. In fact, it is not even history at all but another chapter in a story still being written. Which is why we celebrate, why we all celebrate Juneteenth. It matters more than ever that we celebrate Juneteenth because of the evolution and consciousness that it can represent. The celebration of Juneteenth matters because our country cannot afford to repeat its past sins that generated beliefs, policies, and systems 
that were and are discriminatory, immoral, and inhumane. A celebration of the liberation from those beliefs, policies, and systems can help to ensure that we will not repeat. Just as the parades and picnics of July 4th reminds us of our country's independence from the oppressive rule of Great Britain, the celebration of Juneteenth evokes our country's commitment to removing the internal oppressive and immoral system that divided it and threatened to destroy it, and the work continues. I'm blessed to have my own experiences of Juneteenth passed down from my grandmother, who's a Baptist preacher. She also grew up in Texas, as her mother and her father also had. When I was growing up, my grandmother would speak often about Juneteenth. She had such fun memories of it, from the laughter, the food, the parades, the pageantry. It wasn't until my teenage years, though, that I actually got to attend my first Juneteenth celebration. My, 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 what a sight to see. So much pride, so much positive energy, so much love. It was palpable. I remember asking my grandma, what's up with all this red, grandma, red pop and watermelon and, you know, making joke of it as teenage girls do. Uh, she looked at me and she said, you know, this red represents more than just the color. It represents a symbol of strength and courage. These two words, I would say, are a perfect symbol to describe this celebration. You know, I was thinking, we have to do so much more than just celebrate holidays, such as Juneteenth. The purpose behind them. And continue to do the education needed and to pass down from generation to generation. I remember growing up, we would always go to what we referred to earlier as watch night service. And I used to dread having to go to church New Year's Eve and sit there all night long singing and chanting and praying. <laughs> now that I know the meaning of watch night service, it gives me pride to be able to go on New Year's Eve, to be able to be there and know that hope is coming this next year. And that's what it's all about. Hoping that next year will bring forth progress. The same thing my ancestors did that night that they were waiting to hear the news that they were free. So I know to me, I'll continue on passing on what Juneteenth means to my family. And I hope that all of you continue to go back and with these small little um, information that we can give you, that you go on and pass it on to your family because it's more than just a black holiday. It's an American holiday. We need to continue the work. And as we work each day to reconcile the past and work toward a more just future, we join hands with all those who have come before us, the people who have opened doors and created progress in the work of social justice. May their lives inspire us all on this road to freedom. How can we ensure nothing like that ever happens again? Why do we celebrate Juneteenth? We lift up Juneteenth because we believe in new beginnings. Oh God, help me to believe in beginnings and in my beginning again, no matter how often I failed before. Help me to make beginnings, to begin going out of my weary mind into fresh dreams, daring to make my own bold tracks in the land of now, to begin forgiving that I may experience mercy, to begin questioning the unquestionable that I may know truth, to begin disciplining that I may create beauty, to begin sacrificing that I may make peace, to begin loving that I may realize joy. And the work continues. Now that we know better, we must continue to do better. And we must not fall asleep on the job. 
Our commitment at Providence was renewed a year ago after witnessing the horrifying death of George Floyd and so many others, a witnessing that is long overdue for those in the majority and commonplace for those oppressed by it. This year, we've committed to change, to learn, and to grow. We've developed policies to ensure our caregivers are not subjected to discriminatory acts. But we have to live that commitment into practice. We must create a culture that will not tolerate exclusion, but builds not only an expectation of inclusion, ensures it. We've hired a director of health equity and started on the path with community health workers at our PACE program. We've been reading, reflecting, and considering our biases in a deeper way, even though there's still a long way to go. We've begun leaning into those hard conversations as we call ourselves to go deeper and not to be satisfied until there is a culture both internally and externally where all can contribute freely and benefit from their contributions. We've implemented our website of resources and initiated our anti-bias training for leaders and hope to take it to all caregivers as well. So I just wanna pause and ask, can you think of other things that you've done this year to improve the lives of people of color in our communities? These are some amazing examples of service and yet also baby steps to a new way of being a way that embraces all that must be fixed in our world, a way that builds trust and seeks truth and acts on that truth collectively inside and outside of our organization. What structures still exist today that perpetrate racial injustice? That's the most important way to celebrate Juneteenth this year is to ask ourselves these questions. How is what I'm doing building trust and creating a more just world? As we work on our mission fidelity assessment and how we live out our Catholic identity as a ministry of the church, we celebrate our strengths and perhaps we identify where there is opportunity for growth. So an important way to lift up Juneteenth this year is to renew our commitment to inclusion and belonging to begin each day setting our intention to know and grow in our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion as one human family. As we talk about being a ministry of the church and the many examples of our mission in action, we are so fortunate to have Nick Schoen join us in our celebration today. Nick worked at Providence Mount St. Vincent in West Seattle for many years and is a shining example of spirituality in action. As a father of six children, including two interracial adoptions, and his current role with the Archdiocese in Seattle, Nick has a new perspective on the role of our ministry and the opportunity for living our mission and creating a more just world. We've asked Nick to share his perspective on his experience and the importance of growing in our appreciation for diversity, equity, and inclusion in honor of our black brothers and sisters. Nick? 
Thanks, Karen. And good afternoon, friends. Thanks so much for inviting me to this and what a powerful half hour this has been. Thank you so much. As Karen mentioned, I was a person of Providence for 11 years. I got to work at Mount St. Vincent in West Seattle, and I was a neighborhood coordinator there. I'm a registered nurse, and so I was a nurse manager. We were called neighborhood coordinators. And like many of you on this call, I experienced the joy of a diverse workplace. I got to serve and supervise about 30 direct reports, many of them who came to us from a variety of countries and were such powerful witnesses, not only to what it meant to be a person of providence, but also in bringing their, their cultural background. And uh, we had many celebrations, as I know, continue to occur in our in the home and, and community care settings. I remember one in which we had a, uh, a potluck with Kenyan food and, and Irish food, and residents and caregivers enjoyed comparing Mindazi bread and, and Irish soda bread. And uh, those are just wonderful memories that I have and real experiences that I hopefully have um, fostered a, a joyful appreciation of diversity and, uh, and wanting to explore and learn more and hear people's stories. I also got to experience some difficult times too. I saw firsthand and tried to encounter and confront racism amidst our, our residents. So our, our residents and their families, you know, brought their own baggage, their own really rooted white supremacy that was within them to this new environment of relying on people that didn't look like them. And not only relying on them, but relying them on them to do very private and personal things like care for their bodies. And I watched and witnessed and tried to you know, really be a, a support to heal the grace that our caregivers had in those moments to continue to persevere in their work, to speak up about what they were experiencing, uh, trusting that they would be heard and believed uh, in their in their wounds that they were receiving from the care they were trying to offer those that were being resistant or judgmental or discriminatory to them. And uh, those were sacred moments as well. And I was so grateful to be at a workplace that wanted to see those through to justice and, and healing. Personally, as Karen mentioned, I have a, um, a large family. Uh, we've got six children, my wife Karina and I. We've adopted twice. We have two African-American children. My son, Eddie, is 11, and my daughter, Frances, is eight. And they're kind of in the mix of the other four. And uh, this really, this desire to adopt came from my wife's experience in Washington, D.C. at the Little White House, which is a place for racial healing in which they continue to live on the National Prayer Breakfast every week, inviting people from different cultural communities, especially bringing black and white people from neighborhoods that would not necessarily be together to breakfast every week. And uh, so it just always lived in her heart to do more, to, um, to want to break down barriers. And so we've enjoyed immensely the life that, uh, that we've had as a family. Uh, the transracial you know, experience in a family is is full of joy, it's full of unknowns. And so I guess what I want to say is just those two aspects of my, my, my experience, you know, they don't exempt me from having to do more, uh, to having to act more, to dismantle racism. Um, I don't get a pass because I work in a diverse workplace or because I have a transracial family. I have to do more. And I'm learning more about that. You know, I'm learning more about the white savior complex. And uh, some of those characteristics do live in me.
And so I need to address those and need to root those out uh, in my effort to continue to do more, to be an ally and to be somebody who wants to just dismantle racism. And I guess lastly, now working for the church, I get to be the chief of staff for the clergy office here at the Archdiocese. And so I support priests, deacons, and seminarians in my role now. And I think we as a church, especially here in Western Washington, have just developed a new pastoral plan under Archbishop Achen that really wants us to go out, to go outward, to go where it's uncomfortable. Um, Archbishop Achen is a great leader in trying to push us to move towards others. This is something you all know well as people of Providence because this is what you do. You're the hands and the arms of the church. We oftentimes in the chancery and in the church, church buildings and clergy are oftentimes in the head of the church, but we need to move outward. We need to move outward and go to where it's uncomfortable, go to the peripheries, and especially as it relates to racial justice. And so hopefully we can do more of that and celebrate uh, ministries in the church like yours who do that so well. So thank you for the time and so wonderful to be with you all. Thank you so much to Nick, to Zanetta, to Shani. Your words and example are inspiring to us all. And we appreciate the opportunity for deeper understanding and relationship building today. And at this time, before we move on to our closing part of the reflection and, and song, um, I'd like to offer Robert the opportunity to share any thoughts, Robert, you'd like to convey to our HCC ministry regarding our commitment to DEI or celebrating Juneteenth. Just any thoughts that you might have about today. Karen, I, I'm speechless. I, I want to thank all of you for the celebration today. Karen, Roseanne, Rochelle, Liz, Tim, Roxanne, Zanetta, and Shani for sharing your personal stories. Nick, thank you so much for, for being with us. Nick, you're always a, a person of providence. Remember that. You said you used to be. You're always a person of, of providence. I love that you were remembering your experiences from the Mount and, and just reflecting on how you, the support that you've given to our, our caregivers when they experience racism and discrimination. I also, I love that reference of dismantling racism. Liz, you gave such a wonderful recap of our responses um, and how active we've been as a, as a team. And, you know, to Nick's point, we don't get to stop there. I don't want to reference back all that we've, we've done. I think what we need to do is just keep moving forward. There's so much work to be done. And I think that what, what our commitment is as leaders is that accept the fact that this will always be a work in process. We will always be a work in process. We can't undo all that's been done and in, in just the time that, that we have, but we have a commitment to continue to work, a commitment to continue to work toward justice and equality. And I think our, our focus, it, it's the right focus to, to continue to have that strategic priority to be the best employer in healthcare. That has been resonating across our system. That was actually, I learned the other day, that was actually a major topic of conversation among the three days of system board meetings that were just held, including, I guess, our, our board chair was challenging the senior leadership of the system. Um, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? I feel like without being, I don't mean to, to sound like I'm being a smart aleck, but I'll tell you this. My answer to him is, we'll know when we get there. We'll know when we see it. But we have a lot of work to do, but it is the right work because Providence is not just a 
another healthcare system. I, I believe that we serve as an example to the entire business community of that you can do great work, you can accomplish great things, you can be an incredibly successful organization, and you do that through this commitment of leading from that perspective of love. And that is so ingrained in the work that we need to do for diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. So Liz, you gave a wonderful recap. I'm grateful for that. And the work continues. Um, Karen, again, just your, your opening remarks, I noted truth-telling as just another hallmark of who we are and moving love forward uh, for a more just world. The summary, the beautiful reflection that our whole ministry uh, mission leadership team put together, it's just so reflective of our culture of who we are as people. So Karen, I'll just end it by saying the work goes on. We're committed mm -hmm. to this. And I think culturally, we had a great chance to meet with a group of our leaders today um, when we had Core Leader Academy. And it's just such a pleasure to, for me to be able to share kind of the icons of culture of who we are and what we strive to be as leaders and what we bring to our ministries and the influence that we have across the, the vastness of this organization. It's just such a privilege to be reminded of that. So let's just keep on doing what we're doing, folks. It matters. Thank you so much, Robert. Your words are always so uplifting to all of us. Thank you so much. As we started our reflection, that being a ministry for our time includes being honest about the past, recognizing its gifts and its challenges, understanding the context, but not excusing the behaviors. Lifting up the rights of all people means understanding and owning where those rights have been trampled. The sisters lived in their time, a time when their ministry required sacrifice and service in a context that's very different from ours, and yet call them to love in the ways that served their time. And just as each of you have, I've carried this commitment with me throughout the year and reflected on what it means for my life, for the people we serve and the people who serve with us. I so appreciate the resilience and fortitude of our black community members and caregivers. And yet I wish deeply they did not have to be so resilient. I pray that together we fix the systems that exclude, that oppress, and destroy the well-being of people of color and create a world in which all people can truly live freely. Last year, we shared an excerpt from a 60-minute interview between Bill Whitaker and Sherilyn Eiffel, who's the president of the NAACP. And she was reflecting on why George Floyd's killing was a tipping point and how America must move forward. It was just a most powerful interview. And after, you know, they had gone through all that had been occurring at the time in our, in our country, Bill Whitaker says to her, what gives you hope? What gives you hope? And I'll never forget her response. She said, you've never heard any of us say we give up. Never heard any of us say we give up. What gives me hope is what we need to do for future generations our children, and our grandchildren. So we recognize that we are on a learning journey that requires all of us to be willing to stay curious, to ask questions, to have the humility to accept where we have been the recipients of or part of wrongdoing and work on reconciliation. And now Shawnee will close us out with a reflection. Thank you, Karen. Juneteenth is a triumphant event worth remembering. It is the celebration of June 19th, the day in 1865 when the people of Texas were finally informed, two and a half years after the fact, 
that any and all enslaved people in the Confederate States were no longer property of their masters. In the words of author Tom Feelings, it matters more than ever that we celebrate Juneteenth because of the evolution in consciousness that it can represent. The celebration of Juneteenth matters because our country cannot afford to repeat its past sins that generated beliefs, policies, and systems that were and are discriminatory, immoral, and inhumane. We must continue the work of creating a society where all people are appreciated, loved, and respected for who they are rather than for the color of their skin, their disability status, the name of their religion, their ethnicity, sexuality, or gender identity. We are all one in spirit. We are one humanity. Just as we began our reflection last year with Tom Loder's reflection and repeated it this year, we recognize that each day is a new beginning. Each moment we are offered the opportunity to recommit ourselves to creating a more just world. Every step in our journey to wholeness calls us to be present to one another, learn from each other, see what is happening in our world, and understand the implications for all of God's children. When we see something that impedes true freedom, we are called to act. And when we fail or miss the mark, we seek forgiveness and reach deep inside to integrate the learning so that we can begin anew with deeper appreciation and renewed commitment. Why do we celebrate Juneteenth? Because addressing the legacy of slavery is not a black thing. It is an everyone thing. And freedom is not really freedom until all people can participate in the goods of society. So as we continue to celebrate each year, each of us is called to continue to learn, to grow and serve because we believe in new beginnings. It's a call to action, a call to stand up, all of us together. So we ask, will you stand up? Join us in saying, we will stand up for new beginnings. One, two, three. Face turned to the sky. Weight on my shoulders, a bullet in my back. Oh, I got eyes in the back of my head, just in case I had to run. Do what I can, what I can, what I can for my people. While the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night, that's when I'm gonna stand up, take my people with me. Together we are going to a brand new home. Follow us the river.
Thanks everyone for joining us.